Luke chapter 20, verse 27. There came to Jesus some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children, and the second and the third took her. And likewise, all seven left no children and died. Afterwards, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had her as wife. And Jesus said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to attain that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. For they cannot die any more, because they are equal to the angels, and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. But that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush, where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now he is not God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. Then some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well. For they no longer dared to ask him any question. Here ends the Bible reading. Well, I don't know if you've been watching any of the uh, TV debates uh, this week. Um, The uh, political leaders have been getting a a real grilling, haven't they? I'm not sure any of them uh, were let off lightly. Uh, Don't worry, I'm not going to get on to politics. Uh, But they've been in the hot seat uh, facing difficult questions, uh, often from people trying to uh, catch them out, uh, highlight their their flaws or the flaws in their political policies. And if you were here uh, two weeks ago uh, for Ken's sermon uh, on the previous passage in Luke, uh, you'll remember that uh, at this point in Luke, uh, Jesus uh, is the one in the hot seat, Uh, a bit like those leaders. He's facing uh, a grilling from the leaders of the day. He's facing hostile questions. Uh, Jesus has uh, arrived in Jerusalem. He's gone to teach in the temple. And the religious leaders of the day are threatened by him. uh, And they start questioning him. Uh, They're not uh, well-meaning questions. Uh, They're carefully crafted questions aiming to trap him and expose his flaws. So what's the clever trap uh, in this week's question? Well, it's to do with life after death. Uh, And so it's a topic which uh, affects all of us in some way. Uh, Many of you will know that Ken's mum sadly passed away a week ago. uh, And I'm sure many of us have lost folks uh, that we love uh, over the last few years. Uh, And all of us are going to have to face up to death uh, at some point at the end of our life. So the big question is, uh, is there any hope in the face of death? Is there any hope? Uh, That's the question at the heart uh, of this passage that we're going to look at today. Uh, So let's dive in. But first, uh, let's pray. Let's bow our heads. Father God, thank you that your word uh, is living and active and sharper uh, than a two-edged sword. uh, And it pierces us to the heart. And uh, we pray that it would do that for each one of us this morning. Uh, We pray you'd speak to us, uh, speak to where we need to hear from you. And uh, we pray that it would shape us and mould us to be more like Jesus. 
Amen. So Jesus uh, is in the hot seat. Uh, he's getting a grilling uh, from these religious leaders. And uh, they were a slightly different bunch uh, of religious leaders uh, to last time. Uh, these guys uh, are the Sadducees. Um, they were uh, mainly priests. Uh, they were a bit different to others in that, uh, firstly, uh, they, they uh, only really held to the first five books of the Bible. Uh, and secondly, um, they didn't believe in life after death, uh, in the resurrection. And so they come to Jesus uh, with this hypothetical example. Uh, they've carefully crafted it uh, to prove that the idea of life after death is ridiculous and doesn't fit with Moses' teaching. Uh, have a look at how they start their question in verse 28. Teacher, they say, uh, trying to butter Jesus up. Uh, teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Uh, so before we get uh, any further, uh, we read that their question is based on a law from the Old Testament. If a man dies uh, and leaves children... Uh, then his brother is to marry the wi widow uh, and take care of her, uh, to preserve their family name and look after her. Uh, widows were some of the most vulnerable in society at that point. Uh, we saw that uh, in the book of Ruth uh, a while ago. Uh, so the question continues, verse 29. Now there are seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children. And the second and the third took her. And likewise, all seven left no children and died. Afterward, the woman also died in the resurrection. Therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had her as wife. They're thinking, gotcha, Jesus. Uh, they've carefully uh, worked out their examples so that none of the brothers have a particular claim uh, on the wife. Uh, they know that Jesus and the Pharisees uh, won't want to say that um, the wife will equally, well, she'll equally be wife to all seven brothers uh, in the afterlife. Uh, and so they believe that this example uh, shows the flaws in Jesus' teaching about the afterlife. Uh, it doesn't add up. It can't work uh, with Moses' teaching from the Old Testament. Uh, you can imagine them sort of rubbing their hands with glee, waiting for Jesus' response. And yet Jesus doesn't bat an eyelid, does he? Uh, as we saw last time, uh, it's Jesus who's the one with the authority here, not the ones firing hostile questions at him. And what he does is he shows them that our question uh, is based on a totally wrong assumption. Uh, they assume that eternal life uh, is exactly the same as this life. Uh, but what the Bible says, what Jesus tells us, uh, is that there are similarities and there are also differences. And one of the big differences uh, is marriage. Uh, here's what Jesus says, verse 34. Uh, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. So, uh, marriage is not permanent. Uh, it's only for this life. Why? Uh, well, Jesus tells us uh, in verse 36 uh, that those in heaven uh, can't die. Uh, they'll live forever uh, like the angels. Uh, and so there'll be no procreation uh, and no earthly-style marriage. Uh, and we'll come back to, to think about that a bit later. Uh, because the next thing uh, that Jesus does uh, is he shows them that they need to get their no to know their Bibles uh, better. There are lots of different places that he could have gone into the, in the Old Testament uh, to show that the Bible does point 
uh, to life after death. Uh, but instead, he goes to this um, slightly niche example uh, from Moses. Uh, why, why does he go to this example? Uh, well, it's because it was from the, the very books uh, that they held so dear, the first five books of the Bible, uh, and from an example with Moses himself. Uh, so Jesus starts on uh, their terms, on his questioner's terms. Uh, and here's what he says to them, uh, verse 37. But that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush, where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now he is not God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. Uh, I'm encouraged here that uh, when I forget uh, the chapter or verse uh, of a passage, even Jesus says uh, that the passage about the bush. Um, uh, so uh, it's good to know that. But um, I have to say, they actually didn't have verse and chapter numbers back then, so we can't really use that as an excuse. Uh, but in the passage uh, about the bush, uh, God says this to Moses, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Uh, and Jesus' point, uh, verse 38, is that God is not the God of the dead. Uh, he's, uh, he's not saying to these guys, I'm the God of these dead guys. Uh, he's saying, I am their God now. Uh, I am the God of Abraham. Uh, God is a God of promise and covenant. Uh, and if those key Old Testament characters are to experience uh, his promises fulfilled uh, and the promises they've been given, then there must be life after death. Uh, and that's exactly what we're told uh, in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews. It tells us that those Old Testament characters lived by faith uh, and they died in faith, not having received the things promised. Uh, we're told that they weren't thinking about the land that they'd have to leave, uh, they were thinking about the land that God had promised them, a heavenly one that God had prepared for them. Hebrews chapter 11. They were looking forward to heaven. So Jesus is completely adamant, uh, both here and, and in the rest of the Gospels, uh, that there will be a resurrection, uh, there will be life after death. And the Sadducees are seriously mistaken. Uh, we're told in this account, uh, well, we're told in the, uh, sorry, the account uh, of this in, Mark, in Matthew's gospel, uh, that the crowds uh, who were listening in were totally astonished uh, at Jesus' teaching. And here, uh, Luke tells us that uh, even the scribes who were listening acknowledged that Jesus had spoken well, and they no longer dared to ask him any more questions. So there are two clear things that Jesus teaches us here. Uh, the first one is the certainty uh, of the resurrection, and the second one is the certainty of Jesus' authority. My wife, uh, Sophie, is a doctor, and uh, she spent some time working on palliative care uh, for a while, uh, where you look after people at the end of their life, uh, and there comes a point in diseases uh, where there isn't anything else uh, that doctors can do, uh, and uh, they want to focus on uh, keeping their patients comfortable. Uh, to do that, they need to talk to patients and families uh, about resuscitation, uh, about trying to restart someone's heart uh, when it's naturally stopped. Uh, and often in these situations, uh, restarting someone's heart uh, isn't the best thing, and it isn't likely to work. Uh, it's better to leave them and let them die uh, naturally uh, with their family. Uh, but to do that, the patient has to agree for a form to be signed uh, to say that they're happy not to be resuscitated if their heart stops. But there are often patients 
uh, and family who just do not want to have uh, that conversation. Uh, they're either in denial you know, or they just don't want to talk about it. Uh, others are frightened, understandably. Uh, some, I'm told, uh, are quite accepting. Uh, they've had a good life uh, and they're thankful for that and uh, they can recognize the course of the illness that they're facing. Uh, I wonder how we feel about death today. And maybe it's not what you're expecting to have to think about as you came along this morning. Uh, Steve Jobs, uh, the Apple pioneer, um, said this, uh, death is the destination that we all share. No one has ever escaped it. Uh, or as uh, Christian evangelist uh, Glenn Scrivener puts it in his uh, inimitable style, uh, the doors are locked and no one is getting out alive. Uh, and so the big question, uh, possibly the biggest question of all, is, uh, is there any hope in the face of death? Uh, does, does life end on a downer? Uh, or is there great hope in the end? Uh, the Sadducees uh, thought that death was the end. They were convinced of that. Uh, there are many uh, skeptics back then, and there are skeptics still uh, today. Uh, many in the world around us would agree with Stephen Hawking uh, when he says that death uh, is just like the power switch uh, being switched off for the last time. Uh, but if we struggle with the fact uh, that there could be life after death, uh, we've also got to admit uh, that at some point, uh, that power switch was switched on, wasn't it? Uh, life came out uh, of dead things, of dead matter, uh, and if we're honest with ourselves, uh, we don't have an answer to that. Uh, but the Bible does uh, give us a different answer. Uh, it tells us that in the beginning, uh, there weren't just dead things. Uh, there was a God of life and love. Uh, a God who uh, is life and love in himself. Uh, a loving relationship of Father, Son, uh, and Holy Spirit. Uh, and he brought about life in the beginning. Uh, he could bring about life out of death back then. Uh, and he can bring about life out of death at the end of our lives as well. Uh, and if we need evidence of that, uh, we can look to Jesus, who not only proclaimed uh, life after death, but rose from death uh, himself. Uh, and if you're here today uh, and looking into Christianity, uh, then that's the place to start. Uh, examine the evidence uh, of Jesus rising from the dead. Uh, the worldview of uh, Stephen Hawking uh, gives us no hope whatsoever uh, in the face of death. And yet, uh, Jesus uh, rising from the dead means that as Christians, we can have an incredible hope uh, in the face of death, and we no longer uh, need to fear it. That's an amazing thing. Uh, Jesus, in this passage today, uh, says, know the certainty of resurrection and life after death. Uh, it's, the, it's central to everything we believe as Christians, and it's what keeps us going uh, as Christians. Uh, I guess one question that might come to mind is, uh, what's heaven going to be like? Uh, is it going to be uh, like sitting on some sort of Caribbean island uh, with drinks brought to us, looking over a nice blue sea uh, that never gets cold? Uh, or are we uh, maybe like souls kind of floating around uh, in the ether, uh, in the clouds? We haven't got a huge amount of time uh, to go into this, uh, but we're told that uh, we will have bodies uh, albeit uh, different, uh, upgraded, perfect uh, bodies with no problems. Uh, and the Bible suggests uh, we'll be able to recognize family and friends. Uh, when Jesus rose from the dead with his resurrection body, he had uh, breakfast on the beach uh, with the disciples uh, by a fire. Uh, I love that picture. 
Uh, and as I said before, we also learn that uh, earthly marriage uh, won't continue in heaven. Uh, marriage is good. Uh, it's the right place uh, to bring up a family. It was instituted by God at creation. Uh, so it's right for us to promote it as Christians. Uh, but it isn't forever. Uh, and so we shouldn't idolize it. Uh, we should be careful uh, not to make it the thing that we live for, uh, whether we're single or married. Uh, and it was great uh, at Chris, uh, our youth worker, and at Rosie's wedding. Uh, they had a passage which reminded them of that uh, right at the start of their marriage to remind them that uh, they shouldn't make it an idol. Uh, and as we saw uh, when we looked at 1 Corinthians uh, fairly recently, uh, we need to value singleness as well uh, as a church family. Uh, we need to be careful uh, how we speak about singleness, uh, not talking about it as if it's some sort of holding pen for marriage. Uh, and for those who are single, uh, we need to remember that marriage uh, isn't everything. Uh, it's not essential to happiness, uh, and it's not for eternity. Uh, for those who are happily married, uh, I guess uh, it can be difficult uh, thinking about heaven uh, without our marriage, uh, but we need to trust God that uh, it will be a far better uh, place. Uh, we're told that earthly marriage uh, is just a picture of the ultimate marriage uh, between Christ and his people, and earthly marriages. Uh, like a toy car in comparison to a, Ferrari, a real Ferrari uh, in comparison. And heaven will be uh, far more about uh, our relationship with, with Jesus uh, than it will be about earthly relationships, although there'll be uh, plenty uh, of time uh, for that and to en enjoy those relationships. Uh, the focus will be on God. Uh, we're told that we'll finally see him as he is. We'll see him face to face. Uh, and it will be an amazing thing. Uh, the book of Revelation paints a, an amazing picture of heaven. Uh, we're told that uh, God will dwell amongst his people. Um, I guess all of us have a, a kind of sense that um, uh, uh, we'd like to kind of know him better. Sometimes uh, he feels distant, uh, but he's going to dwell amongst his people. And we're told that he'll wipe away, uh, uh, he himself will wipe uh, away the tears uh, from our eyes. Uh, there'll be no more death or mourning uh, or crying or pain. Uh, there'll be no doctors, sorry guys, <laughs> out of a job. Uh, um, there'll be no hospitals, no ongoing going battle uh, with sin. And we'll have a perfect relationship uh, with our loving Heavenly Father. Uh, and so here's the big challenge uh, to us today. Uh, we need to let that picture uh, of eternity uh, shape how we live right now. Uh, Paul uh, says it like this to the Corinthians, uh, we need to fix our eyes not on what is seen, uh, but on what is unseen. For what is seen uh, is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Uh, we're to fix our eyes uh, on eternity uh, and keep things in perspective. This life is temporary. Uh, it's like the blink of an eye uh, in comparison to eternity. And yet it's, uh, it's so easy uh, for this life to, to overwhelm us or to consume us, isn't it? Um, uh, I wonder in what areas uh, we need to be reminded uh, that this life uh, is temporary. Uh, maybe it's in that area of marriage uh, and family, uh, whether we're married or single. Uh, maybe it's uh, how we use our money uh, in this life. Uh, maybe it's career taking priority. Uh, we need to be thankful uh, for those things, uh, but we need to make sure uh, that we don't hold them in greater importance than our relationship with God uh, and uh, with his people. 
Uh, it's also easy uh, to lose that eternal perspective uh, in the midst of trials uh, and suffering and difficulty. Uh, and we need to fix our eyes on it and know that God is refining us uh, in those times and making us more like Jesus. Uh, and that one day there won't be any more pain uh, and it will all be worth it. Uh, and finally, uh, maybe we uh, lose sight of how important it is to hold out that amazing hope uh, to those around us uh, and to cling on to it uh, and to encourage them to uh, put their trust in Jesus. Uh, you see, the other thing uh, that this passage highlights uh, is the certainty of Jesus' authority. Uh, we clearly see uh, Jesus' authority uh, in this conversation uh, he's the one in, uh, in the hot seat having questions fired at him, and yet he is the one with the authority. Uh, and that is a, a small glimpse of his ultimate authority, uh, because the Bible tells us that one day he will show his authority uh, over everyone, uh, and we need to be ready for that day. Uh, he'll come back to judge the living and the dead, uh, and every knee uh, will bow before him. Uh, and uh, we're either going to be with him, or we're going to be against him. And we don't want to be against him. Uh, and if you're not following Jesus uh, and you don't know that great hope uh, that we've been talking about, uh, the Bible says, uh, be reconciled with God uh, whilst you still can. Uh, put your trust in Jesus uh, because we never know uh, when our time will come to an end uh, and every life ends in death. Uh, but if we're with him, uh, the great news uh, is that if we're trusting Jesus, uh, we don't need to fear death. Uh, that's an amazing thing. Uh, in fact, uh, the Bible tells us that Jesus will take us home. The uh, Bible talks about uh, living as Christians, uh, as being like uh, living as people in exile. Uh, I don't know whether you can relate to that, uh, but it's going to be a wonderful thing uh, when we finally go home to be with Jesus. Um, we can't completely uh, get our heads around that, uh, but the, uh, the well-known Christian author C.S. Lewis uh, attempts to describe it uh, a bit in the, at the end of his uh, great Narnia books, and here's how he puts it. Uh, he writes this, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land that I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. Uh, the reason why we uh, love the old Narnia, uh, this life, is that it sometimes looked a little bit like this. Um, I read a great little book uh, by a vicar in Cambridge uh, about his struggle with cancer, uh, a guy called Mark Ashton, uh, and he knew uh, the truth of that uh, as he um, faced the end of his life. And um, in his final days, uh, when he was struggling to speak, uh, he, uh, he said, soon home, soon home. He kept repeating that, that phrase. Uh, we have an amazing hope uh, in the face of death, don't we? Uh, we're to have certainty about life after death, uh, Jesus tells us in this passage. Uh, so let's be a church family uh, who uh, live this life uh, in light of that. Uh, let's be a church family uh, who hold out that hope uh, to those around us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that the sting of death has been defeated. 
uh, that Jesus defeated it on the cross and we no longer need to fear death when we're trusting him. Uh, we thank you for that. Uh, we pray that uh, that hope would be real to us and that we would live in light of it in every area of our lives. Uh, and we pray for those who are uh, facing up to death uh, right now, uh, whether it's um, the death of loved ones, uh, whether it's uh, um, uh, facing the end of our lives ourselves. Uh, we pray that you would help them to cling on to that hope and know the truth of going home uh, to be with Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.